Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast Series. I'm Heather Horn. This episode is a continuation of our series of episodes designed to keep you informed on frequently asked questions surrounding the accounting impacts of the coronavirus. Today's focus is on cash management and liquidity. Joining me remotely from northern New Jersey is Steve Fleming, PwC's Business Recovery Service Leader. Steve's a turnaround and restructuring specialist, and he's going to help us think through the cash flow challenges that companies face during times of crisis. So then, Steve, as a starting point, how do you see companies sort of normally thinking about liquidity and then what companies should be thinking about because of COVID-19? Sure, that's a great question. And I'm going to make some some broad generalizations here because obviously the facts and circumstances vary from company to company. But in, in, in my experience and in, in normal times, even the best run companies only manage cash monthly, sometimes even, even quarterly quite frankly. And oftentimes, the Treasury Department and, and the, the finance function uh, use an indirect you know, cash flow method to, to manage cash and, and liquidity. They're not normally worried about um, having enough funding on a daily or weekly basis to make payroll or pay their, their vendors. And you know, given Given the you know the unprecedented you know times that we're in right now, I a lot of the clients that I've been speaking to find themselves in in a drastically different position as a result of of COVID nineteen. Yes. Yeah, so then maybe before we get into some details of what companies should be thinking about, you know, our audience is mostly controllers, controllers departments, et cetera. And so, and you obviously mentioned Treasury, who's going to be a key player when you're thinking about liquidity. But before we get into the detail, what do you see the role of the controllers and the accountants in, in trying to help from a liquidity perspective? Well, really, you know, managing cash and liquidity really is a team effort. Uh, again, in my experience, there's usually not one or two or even three individuals that can can put their finger on all the different moving parts. So, you know, as I think about the the, the CFO's role, the controller's role, the treasurer's role, uh, folks in supply chain management, any anything that touches or impacts working capital is really a really important ingredient in managing cash. Usually the starting point is is a budget or forecast that is often prepared by the FP&A function or the controllers group. And usually the a starting point might be the, the next 12 months budget on a monthly basis. Perhaps there might be a longer term annual projection as as the starting point. And then you know, taking those accrual-based projections and, and trying to convert them into cash uh, in, involves tax. It involves um, treasury. It involves the the accounting group. You know, and depending on on the size and nature of the business, if it's a global organization, as many of our clients are, you've got cash repatriation issues. You've got trap cash, and there are tax implications of how you move money around. You know where where you need it and and when you need it. So it it requires a, a lot of planning and coordination across the finance and accounting organization. Let's fast forward, and now, you know, even let's say you're a well-run organization, and 
and dealing with sort of day-to-day cash has not been a big focus, but now we're six weeks in, you know, some amount in to dealing with COVID-19. Obviously, you know, businesses are shut down, people are furloughed, all different um, things are happening from an economic perspective. What is the first thing that you would recommend if you were talking to a company? Um, you know, what's the first thing that you would recommend that they should be thinking about as they're assessing their cash and liquidity? A couple of things that come to mind. I'll, I'll try to prioritize them. First and foremost, it's assessing your situation, knowing your numbers. That's going to be the roadmap that dictates all the subsequent steps that you may need to consider. It all starts with that rapid assessment. As I mentioned earlier, if an organization has only ever managed cash quarterly or monthly, um, I would recommend that they they move at a minimum to a weekly model. The, the industry standard there is is a 13-week cash flow, you know, modeling out one quarter on a direct basis. Um, and then you know, part and parcel with that would be running some scenarios, right? Uh, I, I always recommend in a crisis that you start with a worst case scenario. So you, 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 you plan for the worst and you, and you hope for the best. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're, you, know, you iterate from there. Yeah. So then what's the next step that you would normally recommend companies take as they're maybe trying to conserve cash? Sure. So look, there, there are some obvious quick hit levers, you know, uh, you know, let's start with cash collections, right? You know, r- ringing up your, your customers and, and and making sure that you're collecting your cash at, at a minimum on a, on a timely basis, or if some of your customers are in a position to pay early, and and if if you need the cash, um, sometimes I see companies offer you know, discounts to pay early. So that's perhaps one of mm-hmm. the easiest sources of of liquidity in in a pinch. Similarly, slowing down. Your payables, you know, trying to extend payment terms with with your vendors is a really quick and easy way to manage cash. The less you have going out the door, the more you can preserve your position. You know, after you've you've exhausted those two options, you know, there are still lots of things that that can and should be considered. They just you know, unfortunately, get more complicated, such as. Um, you know, negotiating it, you know, most companies have, at, you know, a revolving credit facilities as an example. So, you know, engaging with your creditors to, um, alleviate restrictions or, you know, assess what type of, you know, permitted baskets may exist within the credit agreements to I- increase liquidity. You know, that's, that's usually one of the, the first or second things I, when I get involved in a situation I look at. Uh, but before you get there, you, you really need to have done your homework in terms of running the different scenarios, um, you know, the what-if analysis, thinking through what all the different operational levers that you can effectuate, and coming up with a plan. Because controlling the message and being in a position to answer questions is is really important, and and you need to make sure that you do it the right way before you reach out to third parties like, you know, like creditor groups. Yeah. I want to come back to communication because I think that is obviously a key element here. In terms of access to different 
forms of liquidity. Are you seeing a lot of companies draw down on their revolvers, for example, to kind of have cash on hand or maybe um, ex- you know, trying to expand them or otherwise accessing the capital markets? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you pick up any of the financial, you know, um, newspapers or um, you, you read any any of the sites that, that track these things, a, a very common strategy being employed in this environment is for companies to to draw down on on their revolvers as as a starting point. Sometimes that might be enough to weather the storm. Again, these this is all very you know fact and and, and situation specific. Other than revolvers, are you seeing other what other types of activity are you seeing in terms of um, people accessing capital? Well, u- utilizing revolvers is, is certainly been the the tool of choice for for companies. They they negotiated those credit agreements and had them in, in place for exactly times like this, uh, and that's that's been a pretty common play in in most companies' playbooks. In situations where that's not enough, um, we've seen a variety of different tools and strategies being utilized, whether that's, you know, taking advantage of, of some of the programs, you know, both d- domestically here and, and quite frankly, on a, on a global basis um, for those international uh, companies that can tap into government sponsored programs, the equivalent of, of CARES. And, and, I, and I do spend a lot of time um, serving global companies. And, and I know that there are similar programs just about all around the world. Uh, I've also seen several large names out in the capital markets, e- either raising you know equity or um, or, or debt uh, as a means of of bolstering their liquidity in order to weather the storm. And and you know, back to the point I made earlier, it all starts with that rapid assessment to figure out what's your need. Um, how much runway do you have and what are you trying to solve for? Because it's it's difficult to go out to the capital markets and, and, and try to plug a hole if you haven't uh, if you haven't done the diligence up front and run the different what if scenarios and, and you know, taken advantage of probably less costly alternatives than um, you know, raising you know, capital in this environment. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, you know, you touched on some of the government programs, and I, I think for a lot of companies, you're starting with your existing sources of funding, looking at the government programs, and then maybe saying, okay, if that's not enough, I'm going to you know, move to some of these other sources. How about then from a cost containment side? I'm assuming that's another very big part of the equation. Yeah, that's and, and if you think of you know, what you can control and what you can't control, um, most companies, unfortunately, right now are not in a position to control their top line. You know, if they're a non-essential business and there are varying rules and regulations by state in terms of who can operate and who can't, that's tougher to solve for than, than your cost base. And I think you know, what we've seen recently is a lot of companies either furloughing employees or, or laying off employees. And in fact, just you know, looking at some of the recent statistics, you know, the unemployment numbers are at all-time historic levels as a result of companies being forced to take those types of actions, and, and normally the your employee-related costs are, are are up there, usually number one in terms of your cost structure. I guess that maybe moving back to something that you mentioned, once you have sort of the lay of the land and and you understand what your story is, 
communicating that to the state to your stakeholders is going to be very critical. So what advice can you give there? Well, I'm glad you you use that word stakeholders because that's that's a really in, important point in that in a situation in a crisis situation, the stakeholders are a very diverse group, you know, starting first and foremost with your employees. And then you've got your your board, your equity holders, your creditors, your customers, your vendors. I, I like the choice of, of stakeholders because it's very broad and, and encompassing. And I think, you know, as I've always advised my clients and, and, and thinking back to what we've been discussing in terms of doing the, the analysis and, and, you know, gathering the facts, you know, step number two is once you, you've gathered the facts, assessing the alternatives. And then once you've completed those two steps, and only then, in my opinion, are you well positioned to have an, an honest and direct conversation with your stakeholders. Um, I've sometimes seen you know companies rush the gun and communicate to stakeholders before they have their facts, and sometimes that doesn't end very well. Yeah. Um, so in terms of best practices, it's you know, gather the facts, do your analysis, anticipate questions, anticipate questions and think through what the options and alternatives are. And, and in my experience, that makes for much better discussions with your stakeholders. I'm not suggesting it's going to be easy, but if, if you've done your work and, and you can answer questions quickly quickly with, with confidence, then um, the, the reaction of, of the stakeholders and their confidence in, in the organization will, will be much higher as a result. Yeah, it's interesting. You touched on a question that I had, which is that I think for many people, some of the messages that they're having to deliver now are among the most difficult that they've had to, um, you know, it's much easier to say, yes, our revenue is going up and, and things are going well um, versus maybe some of the messages people are having to deliver now. So what have you seen in terms of best practices in delivering maybe a more difficult message? Well, in terms of, and look, I've seen, I've seen it all. I've seen what not to do. I've, I've seen some great examples of leadership in, in a crisis. And if I, if I use those lessons to answer what I think are the best practices, it's, it's first and foremost, be honest, be direct, right? Don't, don't make promises that you're not in a position to keep or give, give false hope. And in my experience, whether you know, it's employees who are worried about their jobs or, or, or their careers, um, longer term, whether it's, you know, customers or suppliers who are, who are dependent on, on you for, for their livelihoods and for their employees. Um, what I found in my experience is that being direct, being honest and, and, you know, having empathy goes a long way. And if I, when you lose trust, particularly in a crisis, it's hard to get it back. Maybe a couple last questions just to wrap things up, Steve. You know, I know you've had a, a long career in dealing with different restructurings and probably seen things go very well and, and not so well. And so you talked a little bit about communication in a crisis and some best practices, but just in dealing with a crisis, which is what you're used to seeing companies do, um, again, thinking about our audience of controllers and, you know, they're very focused on trying to make sure their people are able to work from home, getting the books closed, dealing with all their various stakeholders. 
any sort of words of wisdom that you could give from your experience seeing people in difficult circumstances? There's a couple of different things that, that come to mind. In a crisis, there's different choices you can make as an individual in terms of how you react. And, and in my experience, those who lean in and, and, and lead and um, manage the situation with a certain sense of, of calm and, and confidence as opposed to people that react negatively or, or very down on the situation or view the glass as always being half full. The way one carries themselves in a crisis goes a really long way, n- not just from that one individual's perspective, but the ripple effect that it has throughout the organization. So I'd say irrespective of one's role, but particularly those in the finance and accounting organization that are going to be dealing with pressures that they, they probably never anticipated in terms of the demand for information, having to run scenarios um, that they've never contemplated, perhaps even having to do all of that while they've had to you know furlough or, 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 or trim down um, their support function as a result of cost-cutting measures. It's sort of remaining calm and cool under pressure is a really, really important characteristic in a crisis. Definitely good advice. So, Steve, I know we veered a little off our topic of liquidity, but I think, you're, like I said, your experience in a crisis is, is helpful to everyone right now. Any final thoughts then for our audience on either dealing with their liquidity or you know, anything else as they're trying to navigate um, through the current environment? I, I guess just to, to maybe sum up the, the, the three points, because I, I truly believe they're really important. Knowing your numbers and and you're running the different what ifs and and not coming out with I've seen a lot of companies over time that you don't acknowledge what the realistic worst case scenario really is and I and I very purposely earlier um, singled out the worst case scenario because all too often I see I see companies come out with unrealistic projections and, and back to the point of being direct, being honest, instilling confidence in, in your in your broad stakeholder group, it all starts with a realistic assessment of the prospects of the business and the actions that are required to write the situation. And these are these are often very challenging situations that require people to make tough decisions and it requires leaders that can react uh, very, very quickly be honest with themselves, be honest with their stakeholders, and then communicate it effectively. So I think that kind of ties in the three themes that as, as I reflect back on my career uh, and experiences, um, I, I would recommend stay top of mind um, within a finance and accounting organization in the midst of a cash and liquidity crisis. Steve, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insight. And I know it'll be helpful for audiences there dealing with definitely unprecedented circumstances. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. I was so inspired by listening to Steve's thoughts on managing through a crisis. And it really reminded me how much we can learn from each other. So with that thought in mind, I'd love to hear from you how you've managed through this period. If you have anything to share, please write to me at heather.horn at pwc.com. We have one more episode for you this week, and it's on LIBOR. 
As companies begin to plan for life post COVID-19, or if you're just ready to start thinking about something else. So definitely join me back here as we talk about the potential accounting impacts when LIBOR is discontinued. So that you never miss an episode, subscribe to this series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.